Last Sunday, I told you that this morning I was going to be talking to you this morning about uh, getting prepared for hard times and that this would be part one. Part two will be tonight. What I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to talk to you uh, about that subject of being prepared and tonight I'm inviting you to come back at five o'clock and we're going to have an informational uh, meeting, a little more laid back setting and our elders, the rest of our elders will be here and we're going to just do part B, kind of add to what's shared this morning, just trying to come alongside you. Uh, we are under shepherds under Christ over this flock and we just believe that the Lord wants us to just talk to you about being prepared. We live in a in a time that has a lot of questions hanging on the horizon. A lot of turmoil in our world, a lot of chaos in our world. And God's word talks to us about how to navigate those times. And so what we want to do as shepherds over the body here of the church is we just want to come alongside you as best we can and under the direction of the Spirit of God, talk to you about how you can walk through hard times, how you can be prepared. Let me begin by just basically making three statements that'll hopefully set the tone because I do not want this to be taken wrong. I don't want to get off uh, on the wrong foot here. I know that there is there's a rising sense of anxiety uh, over our country, over our futures. And what I want to do is I want to give you a balanced message from the Word of God related to that. And I want to start by just setting forth these three kind of foundational pieces or prep truths. Number one is this, don't fear the future. If you're a child of God, do not fear the future. That is not God's heart for you to fear the future. Fear of events, fear of circumstances, fear of others is not going to help accomplish the will of God in your life. It's not God's plan for you to live in fear. It's not my purpose as the lead pastor here. It's not our purpose as elders here to generate fear in your hearts by presenting the topic that we're presenting to you this weekend. God doesn't want us to live in the fear of circumstances, the fear of the unknown, the fear of others. Psalms 34.4. The psalmist wrote, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. That's what God wants to do. He doesn't want to generate fear of circumstances and cultural events and individuals. He wants to deliver you from fear. So don't fear the future. There's kind of a second set up truth. Don't ignore the facts. Don't ignore the facts. 
the Christian life, contrary to what some today on some of the media waves claim, holding the Word of God in their hand, I'm not saying the majority, but some holding the Word of God in their hands say that the Christian life is to be a life of prosperity, a life where you're always healthy and wealthy and wise. That's ignoring the facts. That's not a biblical understanding of Scripture. Here's what Jesus Christ himself said, John 16, I have said these, these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And I could give you scripture after scripture that not only gives us the indication that there will be troubles, but like Jesus himself said, the promise that they will come. It's a part of life. It's just a part of life. Anybody in here ever had a trouble as a believer? It's a part of life. It's interesting in that verse, just like a dichotomy there. Did you, did you hear what Jesus said? He said, I'm saying these things so that in me you can have peace. And then in the next statement, he says, in this world you're going to have tribulation. The reason I'm talking to you about this, Jesus said, is I want to give you peace because I know as you live in the world, you're going to face the hard times. But listen, I'm greater than the world, he said. I've overcome the world. So the thing that holds you, Jesus said, I hold. That's a great truth, isn't it? It's a great truth. It's a good balancing truth. Now we can look out and if we look and we listen, we can see that there are There's a rising chaos all around us and in all parts of the world. We don't want to ignore the facts. We don't want to ignore the facts. But in the midst of whatever comes, the purpose of Jesus, the desire of Jesus is that we would have peace in him. So, I'm telling you as we start what not to do. Don't fear the future. Don't ignore the facts. And number three, don't waste today. Don't waste today. And the message for tomorrow is don't waste today. And for the next day, don't waste today. You see, if you're living right now in a time of peace, don't waste that peace. Don't let the peace of the moment just lull you into a false sense of security. The scripture is clear that we need to be people who are ready to live in the hard times because they come, they come. So what not to do, don't fear the future, don't ignore the facts and don't waste today. So what I want to talk to you about this morning then, I want to talk to you about what to do. I want to talk to you about how to learn to live prepared how to learn to live prepared for whatever the future holds, how to learn to live prepared for the hard times, the trials, 
that the future does hold because they will come. Let me begin with this question. What is the greatest single need, a rhetorical question, what is the greatest single need that we have in order to be prepared? Let me say that another way. What is the greatest arena into which we need to be prepared for whatever comes? And let me give you the answer to that question. It is this arena. It's the spiritual realm. Oh, yeah, Brad, you're a pastor. Of course you're going to say that. Yeah, but it's the truth. The greatest need for your preparation for the future is that you would be spiritually prepared because spiritual preparation is what positions you to be prepared in every other venue of your life. Let me just give you a run you down a little thought process to explain that. What do you need to know when you are facing an unknown future? You can't see across the horizon. It's outside of your purview there. You don't understand fully the complicated dynamics of the world in which we live, the turmoil and the chaos that we see all around us that seems to be rising on every front. It's such a massive global issue. What in the world do you need in a situation like that in order to be prepared? Well, one answer to that would be this. You need to get connected with somebody who can see it, who does know. You need to kind of saddle up with somebody who understands exactly what the climate is culturally, exactly what the global climate is, exactly what's taking place, why it's taking place, what's going to happen tomorrow and next month and next year. Man, if you could get next to somebody like that, just think how you'd be prepared. Man, you would watch their life and watch how they lived. You would listen to what they say. You would try to learn to think like they think so that you could understand, so that you could be prepared, so that you weren't taken off guard, so that you could withstand whatever comes. And what I'm saying to you is that there's only one person that can do that. The only one who knows about an unknown future is the God who writes the future. Amen? That'd be a great spot for amen right there. The only one who knows about an unknown future is the God of eternity who writes the future. You see, God sees the end from the beginning and every step in between. And if you want to be prepared For whatever comes, get close to the God who knows about everything that's coming. That's what it means to be spiritually prepared. That's how you can best position yourself for walking through whatever times come in the future. And that is for you to get spiritually prepared. And the best way for you to do that is to get close to the God who knows all about. Not only what's coming, but how you can navigate it, how you can come through it, how you can stay on top of it instead of underneath it. It says in James chapter 4, verse 8, credible promise for this right here. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Do you hear the promise there? You are in desperate need. I am in desperate need. As we look on the climate of our future, we need somebody that knows, and God says, I know. You pursue me. You draw near to me. And we do that in our... Now, I'm not... I'm I'm including myself in that. But we do that in our feeble attempts. But what God wants is direction, right? He doesn't want perfection. He doesn't demand perfection, but he does want direction. He wants us to be pursuing him. And when we draw near and we take a step, God takes his step. And God's step is far greater, far bigger than ours. And as we show that we are drawing near, God responds to that desire for fellowship with him and he who longs to have fellowship with us comes in close to us. And then we are next to the God who authors the future. The God who knows every detail about every event at every moment of every time throughout history. Boy, that kind of a God could help you be ready. So the greatest thing that you can do for living a life prepared for hard times is to be spiritually prepared by getting close to the God who knows. And that way, the good times will not corrupt you. The dull times will not lull you into complacency and the hard times will not crush you because you'll be next to the God who's greater, who's stronger, who is more than capable of taking you through it into victory. So how do you live spiritually prepared? If spiritual preparation is the great key, the one great need, I'm not saying it's the only need. We need to do some other practical things, some daily things, some very pragmatic things, and we're going to talk about those tonight. If you would come back at 5 o'clock tonight, we're going to talk about some of the ways that we believe as elders that you can be prepared you know, in your day-to-day practices with relationships and finances But all of that is secondary, a great secondary to the reality that you need to be prepared spiritually, first and foremost. So how do you do that? How do you prepare spiritually? I want to begin to answer that question by asking another one. Is there any examples in the Bible? I mean, is this subject even one that I should be up here talking about? Is there any examples in the Bible where there was some difficult times coming and God came to an individual or to some people and let them know about that so that they could get prepared? Let me just give you two. There was a man by the name of Noah. And God came to Noah and said, Noah, there's some hard times coming. There's a pretty significant event that's going to take place. In fact, the whole world is going to be deluged in a great flood. And Noah, here's what you can do to save you and your family. I want you to build a great boat, an ark. 
And if you'll build this ark as I instruct you to build it, then you will save not only yourself, but your family. And here's what Noah did. He heard what God said, number one. Then he believed that what God said was actually true. And then number three, he acted upon what God said and took the steps of preparation for 110 years. He took the steps of preparation. He devoted the next 110 years to get ready for one warning from God. And because he did that, because he heard and believed and acted, he saved his life, his family's life, the creatures of the earth, and we're here today because of it. Another man, Joseph. Joseph, fairly young man. Joseph the dreamer. Through a series of events, Joseph was brutally mistreated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, made a slave in a foreign country in Egypt in Potiphar's house, worked himself faithfully, diligently there as a servant until he became the master of Pharaoh's house. And then Pharaoh's wife did him in injustice. He had him, had him thrown in prison. And there he languished for years in prison, but he remained faithful to God. And then one night Pharaoh had a dream. A dream that disturbed him. No one could interpret the dream Someone that had been in the prison said, I know of someone that I met in prison that can interpret dreams. His name is Joseph. They called for Joseph. He was cleaned up, taken to the king. The king told Joseph his dream, and Joseph said, God has told you what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of famine and then seven years of plenty. And what you need to do is you need to prepare in the seven years of plenty so that you can survive the famine because it's going to be unlike any famine that you've ever seen. And then Pharaoh gave him authority over the entire land. And Joseph implemented what he needed to implement to be prepared for the hard times that were coming. So same scenario Joseph heard what God said, the warning. Joseph believed that God, what God said would come true, and then he acted upon that belief, and he got himself prepared. And because he did that, at the end of seven great years of abundance, there were storehouses of food all over Egypt that saved his own life, that blessed the entire nation, and even his extended family in another country that that's those storehouses provided food and sustenance for. Here's the question, point of application. Is there any warnings 
that God has given to us. Any word that we get that there are hard times coming. I submit to you that I believe that there is. As a matter of fact, they are hard times on a global scale. Luke chapter 21, 10 through 12. This is the words of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a quick list of what Jesus Christ said about the future. Now remember who Jesus Christ is. He's God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is the one through whom all things were created. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. Jesus Christ is the omniscient one. Jesus Christ in Luke 21 verses 10 to 12 said this to his disciples. Talking about the end times. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Let's just stop right there. Just take the few sentences right there. Notice the short list of signs Warnings that Jesus gave. Nation will rise against nation. There's going to be wars. In the last days, there's going to be wars. There's going to be earthquakes, natural disasters, famines. And what does a famine lead to? Famine leads to pestilence because people don't have food and nourishment and their immune system is down and disease rampantly spreads. And those are going to happen in various places. There's going to be terror There's going to be global anxiety, global panic. Now, folks, just pause right there for a minute. Does it sound like he's been watching our evening news? I mean, this is like a picture of what is taking place on this globe in this time. You know, I am not, I want to be careful here I am not in any way claiming that I've got a prophetic, a foreknowledge of specific future events and when they're going to happen. I do not have that. I do not have that. But what I do know is what Jesus said here, and this is validated in various spots there in the New Testament, that in the last days, as we get closer to the final day, stuff is going to get tough. Things are going to get harder. There's going to be more turmoil, more panic. And as I look at our world today, think about this statement about the end times. In the last days, knowledge will increase. Isn't this one of the statements about the end times? Have you ever seen a graph where they try to chart out knowledge, it just, from recorded history, it kind of sails along for a few thousand years of recorded history, and it gets up to about the 1900s, and it starts to go like this, and then it gets up into our generation, and it's almost going vertical. In the last days, knowledge will increase. 
I don't know if it's going to be in a year or 10 years or 50 years in my lifetime, but I know it's getting close. And I feel like I'm in good company there. I believe your writers, your apostles, the writers of the New Testament believe the same thing. The point is we need to be living with the anticipation that it is at the door. I believe that's what Jesus taught. We need to live with the anticipation that the time is close. But folks, in fact, isn't it really for you? I mean, what's the average age in this room? And what's the average life expectancy? I mean, really, that's, for, for practical purposes, for you and me, that's how close the end is, right? I mean, we only got one life here. The end is getting close. And so we need, I believe, to be positioned, to be prepared for whatever comes. It says, Jesus goes on to say that they will lay hands on you and persecute you for his name's sake. Do you know that the fires of persecution are burning in the world today like they've never burned in the history of the world? I mean, we may not know that because we are here in our protected environment, but there is incredible persecution going on around the globe against the name of Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't fear the future. Don't ignore the facts. Don't waste your time. What you do need to do is you need to be spiritually prepared. And one way to be spiritually prepared is simply this. Prepare in advance. Prepare in the time of peace. Prepare when the wind is not blowing and the waves are not crashing. Prepare when you can get your footing under you and you've got some calm to think and time to plan. Prepare. For if you wait until the storm is raging. You're much less apt to come through unscathed. So, spiritual preparation, preparing in advance. Here's kind of the second point that I want to make that has some bullet points under it. That what we need to do as we try to live prepared is we need to get a hold of promises from God's word for the hard times. Promises from God's word. I told you, do not be afraid. That's not the heart of God. Let me help assail your fears. If you are have anxiety rising in your heart as you look at the culture, let me give you some promises that will help with that. That's what we need to do. We need to get a firm grip on the promises of God. And kind of here's the first heading. We need to think correctly about hard times. I'm going to give you three bullet points under that. We need to think correctly about hard times. Here's the first way you need to think correctly about hard times. Number one, suffering matures us. 
Suffering matures us. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Stop right there at the end of verse 2 for a minute. Do you see the setup here? Paul says to the believer that we've been justified by faith in Christ so that because of what Christ has done, we have peace with God. We were an enemy. We were under the wrath of God, justly under the wrath of God. But because of what Christ has done, if you put your faith in him, we now have peace with him. All of that enmity, that enemy relationship, that wrath has been satisfied. And we have peace with God through Christ. Not only that, that we have obtained access through that faith, into the grace of God. Not only do we have the peace of God, we have the grace of God, the manifold grace of God that we dwell in. The grace of God goes beyond our imagination, beyond our ability to comprehend. And we, because of what Christ has done as his children, we are dwelling in the manifest, in the manifold grace of God. We stand in that. And the result is we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That means we know what our future holds. We know where we're going. And then he comes to the hard times. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, based upon the reality of all that God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, to give us peace, to give us grace, to give us joy in him, then whatever comes your way, the hard times, the sufferings that come, know this. God is only going to allow that into your life so that through that he can use it to mature you. Because what suffering does is that it produces endurance and character and hope. The truth about suffering that God allows to come into your life is not God forgetting about you. It's not God going back on his promises that he has made to you. It's not God going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? They're having a problem and I don't know what to do about it. No, God knows exactly what he's doing. He is working to grow and mature you through the suffering, through the hard time. So suffering matures us, but that's not the only thing it does. Number two, suffering protects us. Suffering protects us. Listen, what we're talking about here is we need to think correctly about hard times. We're not to think about them and say, oh my goodness, what happened to God? Is he on a vacation? What's going on? Why has he abandoned me? No, we need to think correctly about them. We need to understand, number one, that suffering matures us. And that number two, suffering protects us. 
Another rhetorical question. Has this ever been your story? Listen to this verse. Has this ever been your story? I'm going to tell you it's been mine. Psalms 119.67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. That's been my story. See, at times, what God does, I'm not saying that every time that you are afflicted, every time that you face suffering, it's because of some sin in your life. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that when we do turn astray, God loves us enough to chastise us. That God loves us enough to make sure that we do not keep heading down a path that's going to bring about pain and heartache and destruction. He loves us too much for that. He will not just let us go. He's willing to afflict us so that we don't keep going astray. So we need to think correctly about hard times, that suffering matures us, that suffering protects us, and that number three, that our suffering ultimately is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Our suffering is ultimately to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. That in the midst of your difficult times right now, as you live faithfully through those times, even if you... Walking in the dark, you don't understand. You don't know why this is happening to you or what caused this. Here's what you can know. You live faithfully through that. And what God is going to do with that is he is going to use that example as a testimony that brings glory to Jesus Christ because your life will be a life that shows that it has the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in it that lived above circumstances, not under them. And the enemy and the evil forces in this world and the people around you that don't have that power, when they see it in you, it's undeniable that it's otherworldly. And what that'll do is it will ultimately bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I am saying here is the promises for the hard time is this. We got to think correctly about the hard times. We got to get the right mindset or we'll approach it from the wrong position, from the wrong posture, from the wrong perspective. And what we need to understand correctly about hard times is that suffering matures us, that suffering protects us, and that suffering glorifies Jesus Christ through our life as we live faithfully. But here's the second part of the promise for hard times. We need to think correctly about God. We need to think correctly about God. First of all, we need to think this correct biblical thought about God. He cares for you. He cares for you. 
God cares for you. First Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Just gather up all of your anxieties, all of your fears, all of your cares, and take them to the throne and just cast them into the lap of the sovereign king of the universe because he cares for you. He cares. He is concerned about what's going on in your life. He cares. He is moved by your hurts. He is broken by your brokenness. I mean, I know that that is, I mean, even as I say that, the human part of of me, the unspiritually revealed part of me says, what in the world? How could it be possible that God would be broken over my brokenness? But I know that he is because of the spiritual revelation of the word of God. Because I saw Jesus on the word who wept. When others wept, I saw a friend in Jesus who was broken over Lazarus. I saw Jesus who looked out over the helpless and the hopeless and he sighed and he groaned in compassion. And we have that so that we can know that we have a God who understands and who cares. But not only does he care, God controls. Think correctly about God. He cares and he controls. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Oh, you need to lock. If you have never memorized this verse, you need to, today you need to memorize this verse. For when the hard time comes, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Did you hear the control in that passage of Scripture? Here's what it says, that all of the circumstances of your life, that all of the devices that come against you, that all of the enemies that assail you, even Satan himself, listen, all of them are on God's limited leash. He may let them have some run, but he tells them how far they can go and where they must stop. And he stops them short of your breaking point. He promises that. He will never let something come against you that is beyond your ability with his help to bear. Never. He controls. And you remember the previous truths about the sufferings and the trials that not only is he stopping them short, he's using them for your good. 
He controls. He controls. God cares. God controls. Think correctly about God as it relates to hard times. He cares and he controls. And then number three, and I've already briefly touched on it, but I got I to make the statement and give this verse that God is working for your good in the midst of the hard times. He's actually not just working to make them a wash so that you come out as good as you went in. No, God doesn't work like that. God does one way better. It says in Romans chapter 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How many things, church, work together for the good of those who are called according to God's purpose? All things. All things work together for the good. Every problem, every circumstance, every attack, every temptation, every weapon of the enemy. Folks, that's real sovereign power. You see, sovereign power is not just God controlling all things like Everything is a robot doing exactly what he pre-programmed it to do. That's power, but that's not sovereignty. Here's what sovereignty is. The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is that he can work into the midst of the evil choice of man's will and somehow use that work good with it in those that love him. That the enemy can do what he wants and that those influenced by the enemy and their evil schemes can rise up their weapons against you and everything that comes as you live out a love for God, everything that comes your way will be transformed into good for you. Wow, that's sovereign power. And the greatest example of that, matter of fact, I just thought of this last service when I was saying this. I want to say it again. Always the greatest example of every truth is Jesus. I'm going to show you how Jesus is the great example of this truth. But you just pick a truth, and I bet you I can show you in Scripture where he is the greatest example of that truth in personification. But the greatest example of this truth right here, that God is always working for the good, those who love him, just go to the cross, go to the blackest moment of history. The moment where God in the flesh was nailed to a tree. The moment when the creator was nailed by those he created to a tree that he gave life to. The creator of majesty hung up to be mocked. The God of all power. Willingly giving his life 
the darkest moment in history, God on a cross. What did that moment become for you and me? As a follower of Christ, it became the doorway to our victory. It is actually how he disarmed the powers and authorities of the evil forces and triumphed over them. It says in Colossians, he triumphed over them in the cross. You want to see the truth of You want to see the truth of Romans 8, 28, like you see it nowhere else. You just look back through history to a hill outside of Jerusalem on which God hung on a cross. And what you see in that moment is the darkest moment that became the greatest victory of history. You want to look at the most hateful crime ever committed. It was those who nailed him there and the greatest love ever displayed. It was him being nailed there. You see, God is sovereign. He can take anything and he promises to take everything that comes against you as a follower of his and as you live out of love for him, he promises that he will take that thing as bad as it may be. And he'll work it out for your good. He'll work it out for your good. You see, we need to think correctly about God. We need to get the promises in our minds so we're prepared for the hard times. And we need to think correctly about God, that he's a God who cares, he's a God who controls, and he's a God who is working for your good in all things as a follower of Christ. So we've talked about spiritual preparation being the great preparation, the ultimate preparation. Secondly, we've talked about the promises that we need to be positioned for the hard times. Now let me talk to you about preparing. I'm going to give you four ways that you can prepare for the hard times. Four ways. To prepare for the hard times, here's what you'll need. Number one, you're going to need a solid foundation. You're going to need a solid foundation. Luke chapter 6, 46 to 49. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Here's what you need to do to prepare for hard times. Did you see the hard times there? The storm that came, Jesus said, here's how you can be a wise builder. What you need to do is you need to build your house. You need to build your life on a solid foundation. And what is the solid foundation that you are to build your life upon? 
everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them is the wise builder. You see, what Jesus did right here is he gave us three simple steps that we can follow to build our life on a solid foundation. Let me, let me give you the statements one at a time. Number one, everyone who comes to me. Everyone who comes to me, Jesus said. That's the first thing that you got to do. Everyone who comes to me, here's what that means. Who's the source of your life? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is offering you life, true, spiritual, eternal life. And he says, if you will come to me, I'll give you that life. Jesus is the solid foundation, the only foundation upon which a life can be built that will withstand the storms, period. There's not two, there's not three, there's one. Jesus is the only solid, unmovable cornerstone for your life. And so when Jesus says, everyone who comes to me, it means that you come to him, that you put your faith in him and realize that truly life must be grounded on him and him alone. Not on your merit, not on your own spirituality, that you are hopeless and helpless and what you need is Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you. Come to him. Secondly, Jesus said, everyone who comes to me and hears my words. Let me ask you this. What's the attention of your life? What holds the attention of your life? What do you give your attention to? You give your attention to entertainment. You give your attention to hobbies. You give your attention to your career and occasionally a little attention to your king. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with entertainment or hobbies or careers. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that if your life is truly built on Jesus Christ, and you're building it on a firm foundation, what that's going to mean is that you are not only having come to him, you are hearing his words. You are giving attention to his words. You are focusing upon his words. That's what it means to build your life on a solid foundation. It requires focused attention. Are you doing that? Let me give you the example of Jesus Christ. We need to follow Jesus' example here. Do you know what the secret was for the life of Jesus? How he lived a life of perfect preparation every moment of every day. He said, wait a minute, Brad. Yeah, he was God. He was God in the flesh. Yes, he was God in the flesh. But he's 100% man. Not 50% man, 50% God. He's 100% man. 100% God. That means he faced everything that you face. That he willingly lived this life just like you have to live it. 
just like you, no advantage over you and I, just like we have to live it. Faced every temptation that we face. How did he live such a life committed to the Father? He tells us in John 5, 19, listen, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Think about what he's saying there. If Jesus only did what he was watching his Father doing so that he could do likewise, what did he have to be doing in order to know what his Father was doing? He had to be focused on his Father, right? He had to be attentive. He had to be turning aside. He had to be looking He had to have his face set like a flint toward the spiritual reality of his life. And as we look at his story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here's what we see. Jesus withdrawing by himself daily. Jesus going to a quiet place in the morning. Jesus going up on the mountain at night so he could be alone and pray. Jesus spending the entire night in prayer to God. Jesus Christ lived absolutely unwaveringly focused on the Father so that he could say, I only do what I see him doing. In other words, I'm always watching I'm seeing, and then I'm following in obedience to what I see him doing. That's a focused life, totally a focused life. Jesus said, you want to build your life on a strong foundation? First of all, you got to come to me, and then secondly, you got to hear my words. you got to be listening. you got to be focused in. And then thirdly, and does them. Not only hears my words, but does them. Here's a question for you. What dictates the actions of your life? What dictates the actions of your life? Are you living each day for another day? Or are you living this day for what you're going to get tomorrow? What dictates the actions of your life? See, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Jesus doesn't want to just be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then you just do what you want to do? Jesus said, a part of being a follower of me is to actually put me on the throne of your life so that what I say, you listen, but then you also do. So there's the formula for building your life on a solid foundation. Come to him. Let Jesus be the source of your life, salvation. Number two, hear his words. Make sure that his truth, his life is is the focus, the attention of your life. And then number three, obey his words. Make sure that you are applying what you are learning as you look to him. So first of all, you're going to need a solid foundation for hard times. Secondly, you're going to need a heavenly vision. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
this is a hard one for us. I mean, it really mirrors what I was just talking about, but it is such a challenge. There is such a materialism grip on us, and I'm saying us, not you. I'm saying us. There's a grip of materialism on us that causes us to just look at all of the things that are around us to be concerned about what's down here and what Scripture is saying right here is that what we need to do is we need to have a focus on the eternal. We need to have our feet planted here, but our heart and our mind needs to be there. We need to be living in this life as foreigner and foreigners and aliens and realizing really our home is coming. This is not where we're supposed to get it all. We're supposed to get it all there. Right? We're supposed to get it all there. We will get it all there. We will not get it all here. And if we try to get it all here, we are we're upsetting the apple cart. That's not the way God ever designed it to be. This is a place of trouble. This is a place of heartache. There is going to be a place of perfection. So we need to live this life for the next life. So to be prepared, you need a solid foundation. To be prepared, you need a heavenly vision. Number three, to be prepared, you need a watchful resistance. Just give you this quick. First Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Listen, don't fear the enemy, but don't ignore the enemy. Don't fear the enemy. Don't cower from him. You get the resurrection power of Jesus Christ available to you if you're a Christian. That defeats him. Listen, that defeats him. But what you need to do is you need to resist. You need to understand that he's continually coming at you. And if he doesn't have any success in one way after a while, he'll try another way. But he keeps coming. He keeps coming. That means you need to stay militant. You need to stay disciplined. You need to stay diligent in the resisting. Just know he's coming. He's coming against you. He's shooting things at you. Just be prepared. That's going to be the reality of your life until you draw your last breath. And so be watchful and resistant. And then number four, you will need a reverent fear of God. Let me end it with that. You'll need a reverent fear of God. See, wait a minute, Brad. I thought you said when you started, your key point there was don't fear. Yeah, don't fear circumstances. Don't fear events. Don't fear world climates. Don't fear the enemy, but you need to fear God. You need to fear God. You need to have a reverent fear of God, not a cowering fear of God that causes you to run, a reverent fear of God that causes you to run toward Him, not flee from Him. What does it mean to fear? And does Scripture really tell us to fear? Let me just give you one passage, Psalms 34. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalms 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. 
Did you hear that? Let me read that again, Psalms 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. That a key to your blessing in life is that you learn to fear the Lord. But what does that mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Verse 11, come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Verse 13, here it is. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You see, the fear of the Lord is a lifestyle that is lived in such a way that you shun evil and you pursue righteousness. That's what it means to fear the Lord. You see, pursuing righteousness is pursuing God. It's not running from Him. It's pursuing Him. It's respecting Him enough to know that evil is not going to go unchecked in God's universe. He's holy. And so we reverently fear Him so that we shun evil, we run from it, and we run to righteousness. We run to God The proof of your fear of God is in your daily actions. Would you please stand? What I'm encouraging you to do now, just tonight is come back at 5 o'clock. We'll have an informational meeting probably right here in this room. Have a chance for the elders to share That was the spiritual side of the preparation. We're going to be talking tonight about the practical side of it. How to prepare your family for hard times. How to work toward getting prepared financially for hard times. and Just putting some rubber to the road. But make sure that that stuff does not take precedence over what we're talking about here. Spiritual preparation is the key to all preparation. Let's pray. Father... I just want to pray a prayer of of blessing and protection over this body. I know, God, nothing in me that can accomplish that, but I'm just asking you, I'm coming to you as the Lord, as the great shepherd uh, over this church, and I'm asking you that you would protect them by the power of your name. You'd protect this church. You'd protect these husbands, these wives, You'd protect these single men and women. You'd protect the children that are part of this body. I know I'm praying your will in that. I remember Jesus prayed for those that were his followers. And in John 17, he said, Father, protect them from the evil one. And so I prayed cadence with Jesus there. Father, protect this body from the evil one, myself included. I need that. We need that. And help us to take your warnings seriously and work to live in a state of preparation so that we can testify to your glory and be a witness for others walking faithfully with Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.